Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Okay, welcome back to Roadcase, everybody. This is your host, Josh Rosenberg. I am so incredibly psyched to be here for this episode with rock promoter Peter Shapiro. Uh, It's such a delight to have him here. If you're here at Roadcase for the very first time, welcome to the Roadcase community. I am so psyched to have you. If you are a regular listener, welcome back, and thanks for your support along the way. There's a number of different ways that you can get involved in the Roadcase community. Really quick and easy way is to follow us on the socials. Our handle is at RoadcasePod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and you can find out more information about the show by visiting our website, www.roadcasepod.com. If you'd like to get in touch with Roadcase, you have any questions, comments, uh, quite anything you can uh, anything you can think of. Ask us whatever you'd like. Uh, you can email us at info at roadcasepod.com. Another great way to support Roadcase is to follow us on your favorite listening platform. So if you're up on if you're up on Spotify, it's that little box that says follow. Just click that. If you're on Apple Podcasts, there's a check mark up in the upper right hand corner. Uh, you can click that. And doing so on both of those and other platforms will allow you to receive updates as to when new episodes come live. Um, another way to support Roadcase is to rate and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And that really helps out the show so much. So I'd appreciate it if you can do that on Spotify. There's a little box with stars right underneath that follow box I talked to you about. Uh, just click on that on the Apple podcast on the Roadcase homepage. You just scroll down a little bit. There's a bunch of stars. Hit a bunch of those. You can scroll down a little bit further and you can review this podcast. And uh, doing so really helps us out. It's quick and easy. And uh, thanks so much for your support. I'm so happy to have Peter Shapiro here on Roadcase. Peter is the most amazing rock promoter out there today. And Peter has written a book that's available now. It's entitled The Music Never Stops, What Putting on 10,000 Shows Has Taught Me About Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Magic. It's an extraordinary account of his career in promoting live shows. Peter began his career... Uh, while a student at Northwestern University producing two documentary films on the Grateful Dead. Shortly after graduating, he produced another film entitled American Road, which is a road trip featuring music by the band Fish. Peter runs Brooklyn Bowl, Brooklyn, Las Vegas, and uh, also ran Wetlands Preserve in New York City. In 2012, he reopened the Capitol Theater in Port Chester, New York, one of the country's premier rock venues. He also founded the Lock-In, founded the Lock-In Music Festival in Arrington, Virginia. Uh, his other endeavors have include IMAX films called U2 3D and All Access. He also created the Jammies Award Show and was instrumental with the Green Apple Festival uh, celebrating Earth Day. 
He's also the publisher of Relics Magazine, which owns jambands.com. In 2015, he promoted the Grateful Dead's 50th anniversary shows, also known as Fare Thee Well, which featured the fish guitarist Trey Anastasio. Uh, Pete was also, in 2015 and 2016, was listed on Billboard's Power 100 of the most influential people in the music business. Uh, Peter's also a member of the uh, board of directors of Central Park Summer Stage and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, as well as New York Public Radio. And he's also the chairman of the board of the Headcount Organization. New York Times called Peter Shapiro the best image of rock impresario Bill Graham. I am delighted to have Peter on the show. He, he is as impressive as his lengthy resume indicates. I was really so happy to have him. Uh, his secret sauce in creating shows and creating environments and creating venues that are just absolutely amazing for people to visit is really extraordinary. And you'll hear all about that. I was really lucky to catch up with, with Pete on by cell phone. Uh, you know, we had a little bit of connection issues, so that's what that's about. But other than that, this was just wonderful to have Pete here. And I'm so happy to be able to present this interview to you. Uh, again, I want to thank Peter Shapiro for taking the time to be here on Roadcase, And I want to thank all of you amazing listeners listeners for being here for this episode of Roadcase, and here we go. Hey, Peter, thanks for joining me on Roadcase, man. It is a true honor to have you here. How are you doing today? Thanks, brother. Thanks, Josh. Uh, I'm doing good. Beautiful day. You know, that always helps. So, uh, yeah, it does, right? It's good. like you know, it's, it's like, a good show day. Yeah, day. yeah. What show? You got a show tonight that you're going to? I actually might go by the Blue Note later, but uh, yeah, actually, I have to go do something in Portchester, speak at a town meeting. You know, mm -hmm. this that type of stuff doesn't end. The, you know, yeah. So that's what know, like there's a lot behind the shows, like town meetings that you still have to do. Yeah, you know, ten years into the Capitol. Right. Tell me about that, or is it sort of like? noise or just behave yourself continue to just yeah, no, press the flash we don't want someone wants to build a building like a giant building right next right in front of us oh. at the capital on what and we don't really want another a giant building there it's, it's enough as it is yeah so it's less like we didn't get in trouble right it's more trying to protect the you know how we do it you know everything there's all these variables yeah when you're putting on shows and you just try to do your best navigating through it. But it takes what, you know, you got to plan and prep and including is like, you got to go to the community meeting and you got to speak yourself and go do it. And yeah. there's just a lot behind everything that everything, everything takes a lot of work. <laughs> it really does. I mean, and, um, and working through your book, the music never stops correct um I, I i have to force myself from not saying the music never stopped which is the grateful dead song obviously but um it's it's you understand from that there's it goes through your entire career from earlier from your career at northwestern or your your undergrad studies at northwestern and as a documentary filmmaker all the way from wetlands all the way to where we are today and i'd like to hit on a couple of those different points but it's really brings to bear all the incredible details and moving parts and, and, and all that stuff. I mean, were you an organized person when you were a college student? <laughs> I mean, it just seems like there's so many things that you have to balance to be in this business. 
I, maybe it's the, you know, a little ADHD in your brain, <laughs> you know, maybe it's a good, well, no, it's like, it's a positive, you know, I've yeah. learned to, you have to be able to think about multiple things at the same time and compartmentalize. And like, I just have, I am able to do that pretty well. I can't help it. Like, you know, my brain, I, you know, so I found something to do putting on shows that works well for the chemical makeup of my head in my brain. And so I'm glad I found this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I couldn't be a doctor or a lawyer, probably. <laughs> but, although, yeah, well, there's a lot of good qualities with that as well. You know, I mean, you want he wants someone to have not, not so much the disorder part, but the attention to detail part. And if you're, you know, if you're um, hiring a right. brain surgeon to work inside your head, I think we're really good at it. Athlete, anyone who does what I do, you, you know, anyone who's good at what they do, athletes, lawyers, doctors, you know, the bathrooms, the ticketing, that's the stuff that makes a difference. You got to be able to. Yeah. We have 50 staff. You know, when you put on a show at a club, each staff member's role has impact on how the people experience the show. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like a pie. You know, each piece. Remember when you were young, you'd go at school to like maybe a ropes course or where you're all working together. You know, if someone drops a piece of the rope, the whole thing falls or, right, you right, know, one of yeah. those guys. That's real. You know, if you, you got to, everyone has to row together. If one little piece falls apart, like if you go to the bathroom at a show and there's crap on the floor, you get your experience at the box office, you're waiting online too long, or the drinks, you know, the bar is all bit jammed up and you can't get a drink, like, or the, obviously sound and lights are like the most obvious stuff, but like every part of going to the show matters to how you experience it. Yeah, there's so much attention to detail that you and your team always pay attention to. And um, that's something that I like about Chicago and Nathalia Hall and um, and Empty Bottle organization and those that run Lincoln Hall and Shubas is that, you know, down to the security person, down to the person that greets you at the door, it's like a good experience. You just don't want to be like herded in like cattle. You don't want to be some TSA experience in the security line where they're barking orders at you. Everyone's done it before. Um, you know, let's, uh, let's have a great time. And yeah, that's something that, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to see shows at wetlands because I lived in the city, uh, in New York, um, during the nineties. And, um, it was, it was like that there. What, what was, um, and, and that did wetlands began as an environmental center or you had that attached to it to give it some other level of purpose, um, can you talk about that a little bit and kind of your commitment that that commitment to the environment has been with you all um, throughout your entire career? Yeah, well, Wetlands opened in 1989, in February 89 by Larry Block yeah. opened it. I actually didn't start it, but it started from the beginning as an equal like environmental activism center. It's pre-internet. So in 89, yeah, right. there was no meetup.org, you know, or like you didn't have chat rooms and Zooms. Mm -hmm. You had to meet in person. You know, you had to go Amnesty International, Rainforest Action Network. They wanted to get people engaged, motivated. You had to have those people meet, meet in real life, you know. Yeah. And it was like do that at the school, the library, the church or the rock club. 
And right. so the idea of wetlands was to do it at the rock club, but it was always equal environmental activism and music. Well, I think. Yeah. Uh, but, it, and, and, and that was the first venue kind of that did combine those things. And I don't know if you went to a show there, but like upstairs, I did. I the did. venue, remember all the information. It was also a distribution of information about various activism programs going on. You could go there and get like turned on to what was happening in Burma, turned on to like uh, social justice, you know, issues in America, you know, racial issues, environmental issues, justice, just really, you know, animal rights. You yeah. Know, we touched on all that stuff. Yeah. The dead was kind of doing the things with um, the Rainforest Action Network at that time. They did that big ass benefit in, uh, at Madison Square Garden around like 19, early 90s time frame, I think. So. Yeah. In the 90s, you know, it's amazing how much has changed and what happens now online, oh, you yeah, know, in totally. wetlands. It's a little you lose a little bit of that in-person thing. I mean, maybe that's why the venues I try to run people, you know, the live thing is it's so needed in an era where, especially after the pandemic where you could stay home, watch Netflix, not go to the show. There was no show, Mm. you know, sit online, whether some people play video games, virtual, some people do the chat rooms and the data, you know, all virtual and texting, you know, you just don't need that human touch as much. You don't need it. You can get by, but you kind of do need it, you know, because, you know, you need it by need, you know, you, you don't require it to get by. Like you could set up, an activism effort, all virtual. You can get people to sign petitions virtual. Right. You know, we can do a Zoom and talk about an issue virtual. We're doing this. Yeah. You know, but when you're in person, that's why maybe like the Women's March I was involved in, doing the Big Earth Day event, and what would I do for a living putting on shows? I actually think maybe the need for it is more today than ever before. You know, it is in a digital age, we need analog experiences. Well, yeah, we need analog analog ex, analog experience from a live music perspective, but I mean, clearly, social media brings people together in a way that had never quite been envisioned before, and really, sort of, for lack of a better term, sort of rallies the troops out there, puts puts boots on the ground where you couldn't do it so quickly and efficiently before. It, I mean, it, it goes both ways. You yeah. know, tonight you and I could just stay at home, watch Netflix, talk to our friends on the phone, not go to a show. But as a promoter, I can also spread the word about a show much easier, much faster, much more efficiently because of social media, right? You can, yeah. Or you're on our email list, you're on our socials, and you find out about that much faster today. You know, we, we can pop a show. Like I, you and I could plan a show and, and, and announce it right now. Right. In a right. way and sell tickets and have people there that we could not do when I first took over wetlands in the nineties, we would be like, well, we'd need to announce it on the radio, have the ability to do a show tomorrow night. We just didn't. Now we do like that's and there's a benefit of social media and technology that supports the event, the, the real life event. Yeah. You know, yeah. the other side of it is just, you know, not everyone needs to come to the event now because they could just watch the stream or they could read about it. You know, it's just, so it goes 
both ways kind of thing. Well, they don't necessarily need to go to the live show to see the show, but it's still not the same when you're at home. And you make that point in the book as well that, yeah, I could be cutting in with fans.com and with other sort of streaming. You were in front of that streaming curve earlier on when you were already producing live events and broadcasting them um, out of Central Park into venues way back in like 2009. But um, people need to go to shows and, and, and you've made that pretty clear. I mean, I don't think there's anyone else who was hurt as much by COVID during the show shutdown. And um, talk to me about fans.com, which really came into its own during COVID. How, how important was that for you? Well, it's fans.live now. We actually it's adjusted fans. it. Um, that's oh. how good, fans.live. Yeah, okay. It's fans.live. What we did was, and then we have a Relic streaming channel on Twitch. Right, yeah. And we do YouTube, and we've been doing it a long time. Listen, the music I love and I do, the Grateful Dead music jam, the improvisational music, it's ironic. It does sell live tickets, and it does, it does work in live streaming because every show is different. Each set is different. So it's like people want to see that. The biggest bands in music, the Beavers, Taylor Swift, Ariana Grande, or U2, Paul McCartney, you know, that Foo Fighters, that their sets are usually the same every night on the tour. Mm -hmm. And they're highly choreographed. There's pyro, there's dance moves. It's just choreographed, you know, so that does not work as well to stream each night. It's right. the same each night. A little more of cult of personality as well in the larger acts. I mean, you said that, not me, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's just doesn't work as well for streaming. And we realized early in the pandemic, wow, we're screwed. We might as well try and what can we do here? We have these venues and we just we realized, let's do shows, no audience, and we'll beam it to people. We both sold tickets on the fans platform, fans.live and did like the Billy String shows or... Um, the whole steady, we did a run of four nights, the ball in New York, no audience, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of different stuff. And then we also did free streaming and we built a live streaming studio in Manhattan on 27th street in the old jazz standard space. That's a old classic jazz club. And we literally built it out to be a home for bands just to perform for the stream. It's all wired up with like 10 cameras and it's pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen some stuff from there. Um, a couple of things that I wanted to talk to you about. I mean, and in this book, you sort of, I noticed a pattern, not in, the, in an annoying way, just in an amazing way of sort of encapsulating um, each chapter, kind of every other chapter at the end with sort of Pete Shapiroisms at the end about um, you don't know until you try or try it once. Tr trying it once just isn't enough. But and you've 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 successfully brought together uh, and, and just in one sense of trying is collaborations you've always sort of seemed to have your ear on the ground uh talking to so many different people and always up for um suggestions and always open to allowing the artist to move in a particular direction Talk, can you talk to me a little bit about your attitude about you don't know until you try? It seems to be just such a seminal part of your business philosophy and why you're so successful. I mean, sounds simple, right? Well, you can boil it down to a couple simple words. Are but simple, like 
effective. Yeah. The more you practice, the luckier you get. Right. <laughs> I love <laughs> you, that. You saying, don't know yeah. till you try. Right. Yeah. Um, you don't, you know, I, the whole Brooklyn bowl concept, a lot of people before it was built were like, this won't work. You cannot do it. You know? And, and I was lucky you know, to get to try, I, I feel lucky. I get to try stuff. When we designed the Capitol Theater and did the interiors, like I wanted it to feel like a rock palace. And a lot of people are like you can't do this black and gold. It'll look too much. Just look like the New Orleans Saints. <laughs> right. And, and and I was like, you know what? And and so I recommend. This is not that hard for people out there. Like, try it three different paint colors. You know, test it out. Whatever you can do to actually try something. Because if you listen to your friends giving you advice or anyone, you'll notice they'll be like, dude, I don't think this is really going to work for you. But the key word that person said is think. Mm. They don't know. You don't know. And like if we had followed everyone on Brooklyn Bowl, we wouldn't have done it. Yeah. And now, you know, there's one in Vegas and Nashville and Philly, you know, and it just it worked amazing. I'm just lucky to get the chance. You know, you got to try the things you really think will work. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to waste that opportunity. And I worked hard to get to now have these opportunities to get to try. That's the luckiest thing I have now is I get to try. You know, I get to try. Many people don't get to. Um, you know, I think a lot of the bands, you know, there's probably, there are amazing musicians out there mm -hmm. who don't really get the opportunity to show their thing, you know. And listen, it takes work. You know, you got to work it in and a show with 50 people, 500, 5,000, 50,000. There's a lot of similarities in executing and producing and putting on a show between 50 and 50,000, right? You got to secure the venue. You got to book the band. You got to announce the show. You got to sell the tickets. You got to advance the load in. You know, you got to do doors, get everyone in, you know, sound check the show all the issues on the rider for the band yeah. and then settle the show after. Right. You know, that's the same or very similar with 50 people or 50,000 It's bigger, got more zeros. Yeah. But a lot of what it takes to put on a great show is similar. So, you know, I often tell like young kids who work with me for me or interns, like you go home and like, you can, I, my first show was in Evans, you know, Hammond street block party. Like, uh -huh. You know, it, it, you can get good and learn how to do this on a small scale. And, and that's how you have to do it. You can only learn by doing it, you know, and you don't. And, and still me, I've done this 10,000 times, literally 10,000 shows. Yeah. And I still don't know all. I still need to try it. I, I was just talking to someone this morning. How's it going to go on sale? What are we going to sell? I you don't. I mean, I think I have a feeling. But you you don't really know till you do it, right? And that also extends to your attitude and um, uh, ideas with collaboration with artists, and you're very open to allowing artists those those chances to play um, in unique settings or with other artists that they may not necessarily be paired with, or do something fun and different. Where where did that kind of come from? And is that is that was that I, it struck me as a something going all the way back to Wetlands when you were bringing in different bands and you were collaborating with various artists and bringing in, um, you know, turning people on to live music in different forms. Is that also an element of you don't know until you try, you don't know until you ask? 
Good call. Yeah, that goes back to wetlands. You don't know. Yeah, it's like those power jams and those improv sessions and those two in the morning jam and bringing in the jammies when I did those mm-hmm. award shows and pairing up musicians and doing like Peter Frampton with Guster or Buddy Guy with Phil Ash. You know, you don't with Travis Tritt with the Disco Biscuits. Like, people are like, that's not going to work. Well, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know. Until you try. Like, right. I've just gotten good at you know one thing i did have a feeling that would work was like trey with the grateful dead like i thought was like a pretty high percentage chance you know that that will work yeah you know? you're but, still almost guarded in the uh, you didn't say i was in my head i said oh that's a slam dunk but you're still kind of guarded about not never calling something an absolute slam dunk is that just kind of a professional habit the minute I you get too excited and you think something's like guaranteed, yeah, something will go wrong. Murphy's fucking law, man. Yeah, you will be walking home and get hit by lightning or hit by a car. <laughs> and look, by the way, look around at just the world. You know, you see people who are on top of the world get brought down to zero or negative zero instantly. Yeah. So, like, that's a really good way to keep anybody everyone should never think things are certain absolute or because the minute you do that i think you're fucked you you can never really get in absolutes they're dangerous to think any shows is slam dunk to think anything's for certain in the world especially in 2022 you know so i'm always focused on what can go wrong mm. i mean i'm an upbeat optimistic person so i'm not sitting here negative i'm just looking around and by the way that's the most important quality i think for being a promoter yeah. being good at what you do i'm always looking around edges like you know well that could happen and, and i'm playing zone defense because of that but to win not zone defense to like lose but zone defense for the show to be great you have to focus on what can go wrong and that's something that comes with a ton of experience right because you've seen things that can go wrong i'm sure that something always surprises you like i always joke about being in new york city it's like never say that i've seen everything right so how do you provide for that and how do you balance it out when you're not if you're you're not continually worrying about every detail that you you just said that essentially but you're thinking about what could go wrong how what's that Instincts. How does that wire? You have instincts. Instinct. Uh-huh. Instincts. Yeah. Yeah. And reps. Like I've done this 10,000 times now. Now I've, I have a feeling when something's not right. Right. I can kind of sense it. And I'm looking for that. And the team, you know, great teams, people, you know, hiring a little extra. If you staff light, things are a higher chance when they go wrong. You can't catch up. You know, you have to like get ahead of things. And one benefit of me doing this since, you know, every night since 1996 mm-hmm. is I've done it a lot, like 10,000 shows. So, yeah. like, I have a sense for, like, and when the fire alarm goes off, and I've had that happen before, right? Or when the band doesn't show up or someone gets caught. Co- I mean, I'm talking about big stuff. Like, what do you do when the band doesn't, isn't going to make it tonight, you know? And, like, how do you communicate that to the fans? And, like, you know, that's what I think you the good the people who do what I do and do it well. I try to focus and everything matters. Like the entry to the show, not just obviously the sound and lights of the show, that's the most important thing, but all the parts of the experience, the entry, the bathroom, the restaurant area, you know, that all matters, I think. The exit, 
how you get home. Like when you remember that show, all that stuff is key because if one of those break literally doesn't work breaks your whole experience yeah. is impacted. Yeah. You started out by saying that about like, even just the bathrooms, it's just like the most basic example that can like just skew it's someone's attitude hard. about a show. Um, yeah. It's, it's Yeah. I don't think I'm a genius. I don't think I'm that brilliant about it. I might just be obsessive, you know, and I have, maybe I can use my ADHD to my advantage, you know, in thinking of multiple, I've learned how to like manage a venue remotely. You know, I don't even have to be there and I can still have a feeling of knowing about what the show is, what we need to look after, what we need to do well. And I learned that a bit from Larry Block, who owned Wetlands. He mm-hmm. would call into the venue and be like, before he even asked how many tickets were sold, he'd be like, what are we playing? It's separate. What's the DJ playing? Yeah, right, right. I remember that. That's amazing. Yeah. And so like that stuff I learned from Larry, I learned a lot of wetlands, you know, when you have a rock club, that's like, does not have perfect sight lines, does not have perfect bathroom experience. Like you learn, we had to fight, we had to work harder to make sure everyone had a good time because we didn't have the perfect sight line and sound venue. So we made a vibe in an environment that was the best. Right. And so since then I try to like build, great sight lines but also have that touch like the security people at wetlands the jacket said welcome it didn't say security you know Mm. we still do that like that's a small thing yeah what's printed on but it's a big thing do you do you ever talk to me about your philosophy of music versus all these little small things because clearly the focus is on music you started out you're you're a music fan you're 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 the biggest fan of live music i know and um talk to me about how do those details and the details of like putting on a show um ever get in the way of your enjoyment of the music yeah i cannot it's hard to enjoy the show when something's go wrong i can't do it just like i can't go to sleep without finishing the emails and texts if they're like sitting out there I mean, from you personally also, but it's, it's, it's about, it's, it's really sort of creating that environment for the music to, to flourish, or is it more important to have the, um, the experience or is it all sort of one big oh, package? I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. That's good. You've got to have it all, bro. You know, yeah. the musicians to nail it. My part is just to help set the table from my, I got to do my part. So that because the more I do my part and create a great vibe, I do believe the more the musicians will fly. You know, Mm -hmm. I I set the table and try to make it easier for them to get to magic. You know, they need everything right. Then they got to do their part. I can't do their. You're right. I can set it all up, and the band can suck, and it will not get to magic. I but I I can't. They can't get to magic unless I do my part and we do our part as the venue, and so like. That, that's back to like the more you practice, the luckier you get. Right. The more you do it well and you get good, the more than maybe the band will be amazing and it'll be, you know, but it requires all things being right. If the band's amazing, but the sound's slightly off or the bathroom is broken or you couldn't took a while to get in or you can't find your friend, like yeah. the magic of the band won't matter as much. Yeah, as a fan, you can get distracted yeah. and you can kind of focus on those negatives. Like, yeah, there was a great show, but the line to P was, you know, 30 deep. Right. Yeah. And even though they're small, you still, so then let's say there was a line to go to the bathroom. Like that's not going to ruin your whole night. 
you know, but it takes a few points off of a hundred, you know? So like, I just, we try to get to a hundred and it's hard because I, you know, in all these different venues, I'm doing a show tonight, in Nashville, Vegas, Philly, I'm not there, but if things go wrong, it's on me, you know? So like we have a thousand people, you know? And, and so that's relying on a lot of other people, you know, when things go wrong, I take the blames on me. Yeah. Yeah. I try to take it, you know? So that's, what's challenging. What I do is that, it's on me. I'm responsible for it all. But listen, I've been doing it a while. I'm used to that. When I took over Wetlands, I was 23. There's 50 staff. I was the youngest. And like, <laughs> I, I just gotten used to like, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe what I do, but I just know I'm, you know, I'm still doing it. Yeah. And, uh, it's yeah. all I can yeah. do. And, and I, I love your attitude about getting no's. And, you know, one thing I learned from just doing sales or just living in life in general, I'm not a salesperson, but just, you know, just in general, like, don't take a no as a permanent no. It's kind of just kind of getting closer to a yes. And I liked reading about how you had an you'd have an idea to present to a band or an individual to play. And, you know, when the time is right, the time is right. Um, and can you talk to me about trying to get yeses and what it looks like to not be afraid of the no's that you get? Is that still a challenge for you? Yeah, I still get no's. Just got one yesterday. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, you well, need no's to get to the yes. You know, life doesn't work. Everyone listening knows it's not life ain't just yeses. Yeah. You know, but, but a lot of yeses come after a no, you know, and so you need, you need the uh, you need the nose to like get there. You gotta throw it at the wall and try it to get there. You can't. It just it's not that clean. I wish it was. <laughs> right. But yeah. in, and sometimes we'll get nose, and I'll be like, oh, that that's a good no. Like that's uh-huh. okay because it's laying the groundwork for a future yes. Like a reasonable oh, a no, like you know, like why they why they would say that particular thing. They give you a little bit background on their decision. You're like, oh well, this yeah. is kind of a no, but it's not like a go fuck yourself. It's like a I can't do it right now. Not right. It's more like a not right. You know the difference between not right nows and just flat out nos. Yeah, not right now. Exactly. Well, sometimes you don't really know until you see if it leads to the yes. Did they mean that? Oh, yes, right. I like this. Right. Exactly. But it's just not the right time. One thing it's helpful for anyone to do this, like once you do it a lot, you build these relationships with your friends, like the managers, the agents, the band members. So like I now, once they become your friends, and by the way, at first it was harder because I didn't know them all. I couldn't tell if not right now, if they meant it or not. Right. right, You know, but now a lot of these people I've done so many shows with, they're genuine. They're for me, it's one life. It's not like, oh, I got work and I had this. It's like my friends now are basically the people I've done all this stuff with. And they will tell me, you know, they call me Shappy or Peter, you know. Yeah. You know, and they'll be like, this is just not happening. Or not right now, but he likes it. They like it. She likes it. It's going to happen eventually, but not right now. And so you can feel that out. And I think anyone out there, you can feel what's a hard no. And then maybe what's like a softer no, and and then what's the no? But there, there's no question. Like you, you got to look at some of these noses being good because they're on. 
path. They're part of the path. Yeah. I mean, do you ever look back and go, shit, you know, my nose when I was at wetlands were discouraging. And now just given all, you know, 20 plus years of experience, 25 years of experience, um, it's you're, you're navigating kind of a terrain where you, you know, you, that you tread over and over again in some instances is, does that ever pose a challenge that, that the nose at, at wetlands must've been harder and more frustrating. Um, but then I started, then I was asking about, you know, you've, you've tread so much ground in terms of collaborations. Are you ever, do you ever lose sleep over what the next big idea might be? Or are you kind of just riffing from, from moment to moment looking for, uh, the looking for like what the next greatest thing is. It's a good question. I just feel it out. You know, sometimes you're right. I'm like, well, you know, uh, fortunately for me, it hasn't been hard. I keep finding the next thing in my brain, you know, in fact, my trouble is sometimes trying to do too much. Mm. You know, I want, I'm, ex- you know, and then you get to a place where you have more opportunities and like, I, you, you got to focus on what you can do. And that's said as a guy who's doing relics and locking and the bowl and the capital, like probably, you know, and, and a lot more streaming and too much, but I have some good new stuff coming. That I can't really talk about. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I love experimenting with new technology. I love, you know, now it's, it was harder at wetlands. Like you just said, because I had to make outgoing calls and I didn't know anyone. Wetlands was not, you know, winning best venue of the year. It was an amazing place vibe-wise, but not a traditional venue with amazing sight lines. I used to joke to my friend John Moore, who booked Bowery Ballroom, like in Taya Hall, you're in, in Chicago, like that's a perfect room. They get incoming. They're holding dates. Right. At Wetlands, I had to like make the calls to make the shows happen. Mm. Um, and, and I got more no's, you know, and I still get a lot of no's, but and now what happens, I get more stuff that just drops. You know, we'll get a call and be like, you want to do two nights, Jeff? Ba-? You know, we just got that today, you know, and and that drops on you, which is an awesome feeling. And it makes it easier because you don't have to scrounge for every show. When I started, it's harder. Anyone listening that's like getting started, that's when it's hardest. Actually, it's ironic. I think that it, that's like that business in america or capitalism when you're a little guy Mm -hmm. you know it's harder what you're doing you know when you're part of something bigger and you can book together with multiple venues or look at you you're doing a podcast you're on your own probably yeah versus some big network Mm -hmm. some big company that has a whole sales team you know, it's harder when you're little. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, I, I love you, 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 you briefly alluded, but you didn't really go in that direction of your own enthusiasm for collaborations, your own enthusiasm for, um, you know, one of the last chapters in the book towards the end was about Robert Plant and how you spent some time with him and you wanted to talk about Zeppelin and Reunion, but you didn't and then you didn't and you didn't and you sort of very, very um, subtly floated it tiny bit and you know you recounted what you were thinking about in your brain but you're so enthusiastic about about doing that do you sometimes have to kind of temper that enthusiasm to be um gosh i I wanted to say taken more seriously but does sometimes that enthusiasm as a fan get in your way of wanting collaborations or posing collaborations and hoping that they work 
yeah, you know, how I present it, I felt myself sometimes even recently kind of when I'm in person with the rock star, whoever that may be, or a prominent musician, like holding myself back slightly. Yeah, I'm pinching like, yourself. Yeah, it's kind of what you're, well, the pinch, you get over that. No, I don't mean like pinching yourself there. in that sense. I mean like, you know, having the rubber band on your wrist oh, and yeah. snapping yes, it kind of yes. thing. I didn't mean like yeah, the pinching. Yeah, 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 yeah you're, you're used right. to that. Yeah. Way, Josh, you're to, yes, pinching my, holding it back so I don't come off, you know, too talking too fast yeah yeah <laughs> too yeah. excited right so like i may be genuinely that excited but you want to let you want to show it a little oh yeah you want to yeah. be too cynical like i'm not known as the guy who's too cool for school you know i'll wear it on my sleeve right i'll hug the stat like i'll high five i'm known you know i got a lot of high fives to give out you know it's just my natural thing and people want to i think with that stuff i love being with that i love high-fiving with the band members and i love the bands that do that you listen i'm fortunate i grew up with a lot of these bands i'm i started when i was 23 i've done a show every night since then and i'm 49 you know and you can hear that some of those shows in my voice you know i've done a lot of shows and i still love it i still want to go book show you know when we get off this call, talk I'm going to go book a show probably, you know, I already know like a couple of texts have shown up and like, I, that's my drug. I mm. can't stop. You know, I, I get tired sometimes of the hard part, you know, during the day, HR is like half of what I do and people and this person leaves and this person comes and this has gone wrong and this band can't play that stuff hard. I don't love that part being at the show, seeing it all work, seeing our part, like we talked earlier about, like we're doing our part to set the table for the musician and then they come in and crush it. Like then you're watching, like that's the best part, that's the juice, man. you know? Yeah, that's the juice, but it only lasts a few days, you know, that high, at least for me, it lasts like 72 hours. Yeah. You talked about the I'm 72 like, hour glow or something like that. You had a term for it. <laughs> Yeah, the 72 hours. You know, and anyone listening, oh, like, yeah. you go to the show, it's awesome. And like three, four, three days later, like you're like, I need another show. <laughs> right, 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 right. Luckily for me, I've built a world where I can go to a show a lot, you know, and I go to shows. I still love nothing. It doesn't fade. For me, the live show, and like we talked, I do streaming, we do all this other stuff. That's not, it just, and I hope that post COVID people, I think the live thing will be up because so many people stayed at home, watched Netflix, didn't go to shows. Yeah. It's not just the people that missed it. They, they went to shows before. I'm hoping some people who did not really go to shows before are now like, you know what? I'm not going to just stay home and do like Hulu. I'm going to go see a show because you know, that stuff can't go away. We all experience it going away. And certainly the regulars are coming back. I know that, you know, yeah. but I'm actually hoping some of the outer people who were not like alpha concert goers lean into going a little more now just because they saw that it can go away. And well, I don't know if they were into, if they were into it before, they may not be into it now, but they certainly have the opportunity to see the music and get turned on to it more with more kind of um, live streaming interactivity for sure. Right. Well, that's it. But I'm hopeful actually you nailed that some of those people who did not really go, maybe I'm just being, that's back to that optimistic thing. Yeah. Some of those people I'm hopeful maybe won't be like, you know what? I never really went to shows, you know, then I just watched now, you know, but 
I'm going to go. I'm on I lie. There's nothing like live. And we've all spent so much time looking at screens and we look at screens all day. Right. In owning the cap, um, from my view, it, it dovetails so beautifully into your idea of trying it once isn't enough. Um, that it's easier to promote a run of shows in the jam band world because shows are different every night. Did you envision that when you first began to um, create the cap and create Brooklyn Bowls that it would be the opportunity for artists to play residencies or you know longer multi-night runs typically at the cap, for example? Um, and how does that figure kind of into your th- in, how did that figure into your thinking? in creating the cap and creating Brooklyn Bowl. Yeah. So I'm a fan and I do things that I want to see as a fan and growing up, I loved road tripping the shows, mm. but I would road trip for a multi-night run. I would not road trip to go see one night really. So Same. throughout my career and I, from wetlands to the bowl, I mean, we would do three, four nights. I love doing multiple night runs. And I also know it's smart business because like you don't, don't have to load the band out or load the band in, in the middle of the run. Right. And that helps the economics. And in part two, when you do three nights of ween, like we just drew people from over 40 states in America. We know from the zip report, you yeah. know, when they bought the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when yeah. we just did Tedeschi trucks, we do three nights. Because it's three nights and not one or even two, we can then draw people from just about every part of America. Yeah. Like when, and when we do triple Dylan, we can then get people from Europe. Will come. People will travel to see their favorite band, their favorite venue, period. No question. For multi, and, for multi nights. Yeah. Yeah. For runs and good on the staff. Love it. Our staff, the touring staff band likes it because they get to go after, you know, stay in their ho- same hotel room. The bands like it. I think it facilitates their ability to go places musically because they're not getting off the bus at five, you know, and getting on and oh, they're sleeping in a real bed. Like across the board, I love multi-night runs. I always have. I love seeing. And then obviously it forces the musicians also, I think, creatively to like mix it up, you know. And the bands, the biggest bands in the world who just play arena one night here, one night here, one night here, same set or theaters that one night, one night, you know, that's why we love what we do the music we love you right, know because right. it enables musicians to like go and experiment with the unknown you know which is what the grateful dead really led listen sometimes it doesn't work and it's not good right right but because you don't know hold on, because you don't know what's gonna happen and there's a chance it's not good it's risky yeah that's um, when you and then when it works that's when it's the best yeah so. totally totally i mean and uh i just want to ask you about lock-in why was there no lock-in this year what was the thinking there because really we're curious. prepping yeah we're prepping for like a future where it becomes less one event and more a venue for every for multiple weekends we really want to build it out to be a place where we'll be doing multiple events through the summer and through the year I want to build it lock and farm as a venue, basically. Interesting. Sort of like what you did last year when you had the three separate weekends with Tedeschi Trucks and um, uh, was that J-Rad and then Goose, the Fred Fest? Yeah, you nailed it, brother. Yeah, we want to go actually further. Ah, interesting. So we're going to try to build out infrastructure. I mean, that's that's the plan. And um, 
I better, know, I better buy like my a, I better buy my sprinter van. Yeah, brother, you better get ready. And and listen, <laughs> it's like a good band doing a jam. You don't really always know exactly where you're going, but you know it's going to be a. But you you know kind of where you want to go. Same at Lock, and we I want to go to a new place. There there really should there isn't really a venue like that. Mm-hmm. It's built for festivals and make it easier for bands to have their own event. Because to just set it up and take it down, you know, I want to, I want, well, at least we've done that a lot, big ones. And, and I, we're going to try and go to a new place that yeah. I don't think really has been fully done. One more, one more quick question, Pete. Thanks so much for your time. Um, Goose, what's your, um, what, tell me about from your point of view, how you're seeing their growth to date and where you think that's going to go. I'm really curious to get your point of view on that. They're here forever. They're 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 long term. You know, once you get to a place that Goose is at, I don't think it fades. You know, you don't really see musicians like that with the fan base, and then it kind of fades down. Yeah, it yeah. continues and grows because people. And it's back to the nature of this music. Like as long as they can continue to push things musically in a new place, but keep what they do that base. You know, that fans will want more and more. It's like the nature of our maybe humanity you know, what a human wants they want more of it you know it's like a drug and you're not going to go see goose twice and be like you know what i got it but i don't need any more of it yeah. it is what they do and they drop on people people are like i need more of that yeah i want more of that and so that's why you know i i, I try not to be absolute like this is definite this is going you know but goose is 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 not going to fade. Just doesn't. Just In like, terms of that meteoric, just incredibly um, stratospheric growth that they've experienced over COVID, have you ever seen that type of um, amazing? Uh, growth in such a short period of time and popularity. Well, Billy Strings, you know, Goose and Billy Strings. Yeah. <laughs> you know, go. Billy had it. I think those are the two bands during COVID that each were really smart with how they integrated technology and streaming. We did streams with each of them. I did. The Rockefeller Center thing with Goose. Yeah. And the Hawaii thing. I should just realize that talking to you. It's kind of funny. I did things with each of them. And um, uh, I'm not the re- I mean, they did all this, lots of stuff. They worked hard, bro. Yeah. You know, they, they put, they took that moment and they didn't like sit at home. You know, hard work. You need a bunch of things. Hard work. You know, great talent be nice, you know, have a great team, you know, all these elements are all right. But by the way, you pull one of those out, the whole thing falls down, you know, if you don't, and these, both those bands, both Billy and Goose have all those elements. And if you can keep all those going, you know, they should be able to keep running marathons. Right. Right. It's so fucking exciting, man. Um, thanks so much for being here, Peter. I know your time is limited. I really appreciate you being here. Um, I, I, I love the book. The music never stops. Um, you've put on more than 10,000 shows. It's just, it's extraordinary, man. And you're just, um, fucking cool, dude. Just a great, and I, 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 I I love the vibe. I love everything you do, brother. Thanks for working with me while I'm here in the woods. Um, but we made it through technology and, um, I appreciate what you do too. Um, and to, you know, the world, it's a tough world out there. So we need this music and to lift us and, and these, and, and the experience, it's more than music, the, sh- the experiences and the shows, you know, it's just a word experience show, 
music, chat, but it's life. It takes you people. Know, it takes it people art. to bring it, bring it to everybody. You bring the music to everybody. You bring the live music and that vibe, and you recognize that vibe as being something that's special, but needs to be presented in a way that's not only pleasing to the fans, but creates also just another great environment in which to 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 experience that music. And those are the key elements. That's the magic. That's the whole hey, big, well said, the whole big package, man. You just said it. Now I'm gonna go. Uh, the way you just said that, I'll mic drop. Let you mic drop there, and I'm gonna go swim with my kid after what you just said. Right on. Okay. Well, enjoy, enjoy. Um, okay, thanks. Brother. Enjoy the kids. I'll talk I gotta to you. I got to do soon. this, and then I'm coming into the city. I got a show tonight. So. Oh, cool. Right on, man. Thanks, Josh. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Pete. brother. Talk to you soon, man. Bye. Okay. That was the one and only Peter Shapiro whose new book is out now. It's entitled The Music Never Stops, What Putting on 10,000 Shows Has Taught Me About Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Magic. Uh, That's Peter Shapiro's book, along with the help of Dean Budnick. Uh, Just a wonderful human, uh, amazing promoter. So many incredible things that he has done and added to the world of live music. But what it boils down to with Peter, and you'll learn from the book, is that details matter. You know, he understands completely that his part is to, quote unquote, set the table uh, for to create the best environment for the music to flourish. If that means paying attention to what's going on at the entrance point of a venue, uh, paying paying attention to what's going on in the bathrooms or at the bar and all of those little small details. Um, Peter started out at wetlands in new york in the in the 90s i was fortunate enough to to go to wetlands a couple times when i lived in new york and it was um uh it was a scrappy venue at the time but it had character it had life um it had uh that you know unknown factor of that amazing venues have places where you want to go where uh the music is revered and uh the experience is also the most important thing as well um Another thing that strikes me about Peter is is his attitude towards trying. You know, he says that you don't know until you try. That sounds trite and simple, but it is really uh, very, very inspiring when you understand where Peter has come from and how many times that he has tried uh, to do new things, to put together new venues, to have new ideas, to create new collaborations. It's just so amazing. And his level of uh, attention to detail also boils down to focusing on what can go wrong at times. And Pete just leverages his experience of putting on 10,000 shows and his instincts as to what to do at any one point. And uh, it's just a, it's just an extraordinary life. He's just such a, such a cool dude. Talks a mile a minute. He's just got that brain. He said that ADHD brain that really uh, is moving in a billion different directions. You could tell just from this, uh, from this brief conversation with him. Uh, I'm so excited that to uh, have had him here. Um, really excited to see what's going to happen with this new lock-in venue in Virginia. Uh, Pete says he wants to make it a year-round uh, type of venue, and I'm super excited to see what that's all about. Again, his new book is out now. It's entitled The Music Never Stops, What Putting on 10,000 Shows Has Taught Me About Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Magic. And as Pete says, it's a show, but it's life. And amen to that. 
I want to thank everyone for being here and tuning in for this episode. And I want to send a very special thank you to the one and only Peter Shapiro for being here on this episode of Road Case. Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at RoadcasePod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road. Yeah.